Alright, today's Bible reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 29 to 30 verse 20. If you have a church Bible, someone's put little bookmark thingies in the right spot, so it should be easy to find. The Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek, and Israel camped by the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines asked, What about these Hebrews? Achish replied, Is this not David, who was an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He has already been with me for over a year, and from the day he left Saul until now, I have found no fault in him. But the Philistine commanders were angry with Achish and said, Send the man back, that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle, or he will return against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favour than by taking the heads of our own men? Isn't this the David they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. So Achish called David and said to him, As surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable, and I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until now, I have found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. Now turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. But what have I done, asked David? What have you found against your servant from the day I came to you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of the Lord my king? Achish answered, I know that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said, He must not go up with us into battle. Now get up early, along with your master's servants who have come with you, and leave in the morning as soon as it is light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziglag. They had attacked Ziglag and burnt it. They had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Amalek, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Valley, where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drank any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, Who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the... Kerathites, some territory belonging to Judah, and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. 
David asked him, Can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, Swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away, except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. I wonder what the worst thing is that you've ever had to face, the worst pickle you've ever found yourself in. Maybe battling cancer, being betrayed, tempted by adultery, being divorced, the death of a spouse or a child, getting fired, car accident, home destroyed by a flood or fire, the list is pretty endless, isn't it? This isn't the worst one for me, but it sticks in my mind because it was such a stupid decision. Robert and I were on holidays. We are in Victoria, and we are in the southern region, Portland, and we were due to head back to Melbourne via the Great Ocean Road. And we heard that there was some whales. We wanted to go whale watching, so we went up on a hill and we got out the binoculars, we, we couldn't see any whales, and then I spied a little track off to the side, and I thought, hmm, we've got a four-wheel drive Subi, all-wheel drive, so go down the track. Anyway, look, I won't go into all the details, suffice it to say, it did not end well. We got bogged, Robin got so distressed, she got out of the bogged car, um, the conversation was a bit strained, to say the least. <laughs> Why did you do this? <laughs> I had to ring the RECV and try and get called out, hoping they'd use my RECT card, which they did honour. And they looked at me and said, whatever possessed you to take your car down that track? <laughs> And we, it was an almighty mess to clean up. All thoughts of whale watching went out the window. And I, I just sat there and thought, why did I make that decision? Well, just in case you think I'm the only stupid person in the room, I encourage you to reflect on these verses from 1 Corinthians 10. I take great encouragement from these verses. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. We're all susceptible at times to doing some silly things. Today's reading is a brilliant example of what living the Christian life looks like. David lived with the promise of being king in his heart. But he had to live for over seven years as the king in waiting. For years he was pursued all over Israel by Saul, trying to kill him. So 
As Christians, when you think about it, we also live with a promise in our hearts that we're going to be with the Lord, that he will not leave us nor forsake us, that he will be with us through thick and thin. We know these things in our head, but in our hearts it's possible to still fear or to start to take matters into our own hands, try and organise things in a way that might make things work out a bit better, we think, and we can make some unwise decisions. How many of us have cried out, where are you, Lord? How long, O Lord? And even if we've been faithful to the Lord and we've, we've done the right thing, but there just doesn't seem to be an answer and we go on and on and on and there's no change, no deliverance, no breakthrough, we can sometimes just cry out and say, where are you, God? What is happening? Or it might even just be plain, help, help. Can anyone relate to this? I'm, I can see a few people nodding. There's a few honest people amongst us. So I want to show three things from today's reading. I want, I want you to understand you never know where you might end up in life. You never know where you might end up in life. And so know how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Know how to lean on him and draw strength from him and always choose to rest in the faithfulness of God. So let's look at these in turn. You never know where you might end up in life. In this situation with David, when David killed Goliath and defeated the Philistines, he would not have imagined that he would one day go and live in the land of the Philistines. He would not have imagined that he would go to Goliath's hometown and be received. That he would actually one day volunteer to serve in the Philistine army. Chapter 27 makes it quite clear. It says, uh, sorry, it's the beginning of 28. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Ashish, that's the guy whose favour David had, he said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. And Ashish replied, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So Ashish thought he had David as his bodyguard for life. David would not have ever imagined that he'd be fighting against his own king in the land of his enemies, serving in the army of his enemies. How could he possibly have ever considered that? But that's what happened. Now... These two chapters, 29 and 30, are inserted between the events of chapters 28 and 31, where Saul is about to lose his life in battle with the Philistines. We're told how things pan out for David and his men in contrast with how they pan out for Saul and his men. Saul consults the Lord but doesn't receive an answer. 
The Lord did not answer him because in the past, Saul had not followed fully the ways of the Lord. So the Lord punishes him by not answering him because he doesn't do what the Lord tells him to do anyway. So what he does is he takes matters into his own hand and he goes and consults a medium, someone who consults the dead for the living. So it'd be like going to a tarot card reader or to some kind of medium today who can read whatever and tell you the future. That's, that's what he did in his desperation. And the spirit of Samuel gets conjured up. And Samuel says, why did you disturb me? This is all bizarre stuff. In contrast with what Saul did, David consults the Lord and the Lord answers him and David obeys him. That's the point behind all of this. There's a huge contrast between Saul and David. One listens to God, one doesn't. David seeks the Lord through a true priest of Israel, Abiathar the priest, and he's told exactly what to do. We'll come to that. And all of this happens because of David's decision to flee from Saul and live in the land of the Philistines. We're not told anywhere that God directed him to do this. In fact, we're told at the beginning of chapter 27, David thought to himself, one of these days I'll be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. So he, he thinks to himself and he makes a decision based on his thoughts. Can you relate to that? I can. How easy is it for us to think that we need to make, take matters into our own hands and organise things for ourselves? Now, what was he going to do with his time when he's living amongst the Philistines. He's the king in waiting of Israel. Well, the answer is fight the Lord's enemies. Which enemies? Is he going to wipe out the Philistines while he's living among them? He's already been told he has to serve in their army. He can't have it both ways. He can't have the protection of the Philistines from Saul and then go and attack the Philistines. He's going to have to serve in their army. So this is a dilemma that he's faced with. So what he does is he goes and he kills enemies to the south back towards Egypt and he wipes out and ransacks whole villages and towns. Men, women and children are wiped out. Amalekites, Geshurites and Gerzites to the south. And he's secretive about it and he lies to Ashish. Ashish says, where have you been today? And David would say, well, I've been in Israel or in southern Judah and I've been killing uh, my Lord's enemies. And Ashley says, oh, that's great, that's great. And he thinks he's going to be utterly detestable to his king because he's fighting his own people. He, he's mine for life. That's exactly what was going on in Ashish's mind. So David's answer is actually, when you think about it, very elusive. He says, why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? He says that in verse 8 of chapter 28. Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? 
So who, who's Lord? Which king? Saul? David? Ashish? The Lord? He, he, he doesn't name names, he just says, my Lord the King. All along, he fully intends to follow Jesus, follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to do the right thing. But he, he just isn't up front with Ashish. So by what happens is he's then enlisted. That day comes and he's called upon to go into the army and fight against Israelites. Fortunately for David, the Philistine commanders make the decision on his behalf and they say, we can't have this guy in our army. He will turn on us. He will start attacking us. Send him home. Whatever possessed you to think of this, Ashash. So despite David's protests, Ashash sends David back to Ziklag and then his problems hadn't ended. When he gets back to Ziklag, they're weeping so loudly because Amalekites, a raiding band of Amalekites had come down and had burned their village and taken their wives and children, all their goods and possessions with them. So you think of David's situation. He's outside of his home country. He's been on the run for so long. He's rejected by the Philistine commanders. He's sent back to where he was. He gets there. He finds his wife and kids have been taken. His, every, his village is burned and, he, and his men are talking about stoning him. These are battle-hardened warriors. And they're weeping so loudly they're so exhausted, they're so discouraged, they think everything's gone pear-shaped for us since we've started following David. Let's stone him. Let's take matters into our hands. Now we start to really see the character of David coming out. What does David do? He encourages himself in the Lord his God. Now, if you see someone going through a deep trial or even doing something stupid, don't start to think, well, that won't happen to me or I'd never do that. I've done that before and had to eat my words. Weariness and as twin offspring, disappointment and discouragement can mess with our heads. The world, the flesh and the devil conspire to lead us away from trusting God. And left unchecked, weariness can develop into deep disappointment and discouragement, even full-blown disillusionment. You can wind up in utter despair and go to some very dark places in your head if you're not careful. It's interesting there's about 10,000 ex-pastors in Australia, they estimate. 10,000. The example, the, the reason that the vast majority of them give for being out of the ministry, pastoral ministry, is discouragement and disillusionment. They're so discouraged. They went in with high hopes. The church would take off. Things would be fabulous. People would get converted. 
and they get disillusioned and discouraged. They find churches splitting over what colour they're going to paint their building. They get stabbed in the back. They find themselves utterly caught up in administration, all kinds of things, anything but preaching the gospel and seeing people come to Christ. It's not just pastors, though, missionaries. Think about it. Visa problems, financial problems, health problems, family problems, language and cultural issues, combined with a sense of isolation and scarcity of Christian fellowship, can fast-track some missionaries headlong into weariness, disappointment and deep discouragement. When I was a young Christian, one of the very first um, missionary meetings I went to was a lady who returned from the mission field in Pakistan and she was crying. She, she said, I, I can't hack it. I can't do it. I did not know what I was going to expect there. I, wasn't, I didn't go prepared for it. And she said, what I was least prepared for was the bickering and arguing between fellow missionaries. I expected support and I didn't get it. And she came back a shattered woman and refused to go back on the field. It can happen. Disappointment, disillusionment and discouragement. But it's not just pastors or missionaries. It's all of us. Busy lives... Running children around to sport, 24-7 social networking, media, email, tweets, texts, Instagram, Facebook. We must learn to handle weariness, discouragement and disappointment or we will also end up not thinking straight, like David's men. Blame David, lest own him. We often blame others instead of examine our hearts. In his letters, Paul often recounted his trials and tribulations, not for sympathy, but to help us understand that we should expect trials and to show us how to handle them. Listen to his words in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 10. He says this, and then notice the, the move in the language from we to he. We do not want you to be uninformed, dear friends, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. He's showing God allows us to go through trials and problems and difficulties so we can learn to rely upon the God who raises the dead. The God who can do more than we ask or imagine. You might be thinking, if God loves us so much, cares for us so deeply, why would he allow us to go through trials? 
And the answer is because we develop convictions through afflictions. It's through what you suffer, what you go through, that you start to develop godly convictions. You figure out what works, what doesn't work, and God forges convictions inside of you about the right way and the wrong way, or he drives you back to the scriptures and you read the scriptures, maybe in desperation, and God shows you answers and you go, wow, I never saw that before. And the Spirit is teaching you to lean on the Lord, to look to him. First Peter 1, Peter understood this, the guy who often opened his mouth and um, got himself into some strife. And he said this, In this living hope you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Young eagles at some point have to leave the nest, sometimes with nudging. Out, off you go, because they have to learn to fly. There's only one way to learn to fly that I can figure out, and I haven't tried it, and I don't think I'd like to. It's, you'd have to go out over the side, and you're going to have to start going and find out the hard way. God lets us flap our wings, launch out. Little children, we're watching this as you know, our gen grandchildren grow up. We know they have to go through a stage where they learn to walk. And that involves accidents. They fall over, they bang their heads, all kinds of things. Parents have to be on guard. The Lord allows us to go through trials and difficulties. So I don't know what you might be going through at present, but the Lord does. And he wants you to know that his grace is sufficient for you. He won't let you be tempted beyond your ability to endure. He will be with you. Trust him. There's a vital part, though, that you have to learn to play, to prevail in your trial. And that's you need to know how to encourage yourself in Christ. When David's men wept aloud so much, they were completely exhausted. Their minds went to that dark place what did David do? Verse 6, David found strength in the Lord his God. He didn't curse his men. He didn't reach for a cigarette or a stiff gin and tonic. He reached out to God. He looked to God who had anointed him with his head with oil in the presence of his enemies the one who would be his good shepherd, who would lead him in paths of righteousness. Is that how you handle discouragement and opposition? Do you turn to the one who made you, who knows you best? Do you turn to his promises to remind yourself that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his promises? Do you put on the gospel armour? 
Hold up the shield of faith. Use the sword of the Spirit and remind yourself of the promises of God. How do you handle discouragement? Hopefully, like David, and strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. And what David did next is very instructive. Verses 7 and 8. He instructed Abiathar the priest, or Abiathar the priest, who travelled with them to get the ephod. Now, so Abiathar had had to flee Saul earlier on, and he joined David, and he was a priest. And an ephod was like a linen garment that the priests would wear, and they often wore it, particularly associated with consulting the Lord, seeking guidance. The Bible never actually tells us how they did it, but it seemed to involve a thing called Urim and Thummim. The best the historians can figure out is there was a big pocket inside the front of the ephod that went over that the priest wore. And inside were two stones, one Urim, one Thummim. And it seems to be that they pulled out, that they reached in, the two stones were in there, they couldn't see which one it was, and they would pray and trust God to answer with yes or no by pulling out the Urim or the Thummim, yes or no. That seems to be how they did it. So he consults the Lord. The question he asked was, should I pursue? And the answer was given, yes. You will surely overtake them. You will succeed. So David doesn't just strengthen himself in God. He seeks God's guidance to help him in the situation. He doesn't just collapse in a heap on the Lord in his lap. He says, God, be my strength, be my guide, show me, be my good shepherd, lead me in paths of righteousness. What should I do here? And the Lord answers. Jesus did this in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed and sought the Father's strength. He knew what lay ahead, but he poured out his heart for strengthening to do the Father's will. Quentin and Ashley and the elders of the branch and the missionary agency that Quentin and Ashley are going with are going through this very process at the moment of discerning where they should serve when they go back to the mission field because there's potential real danger involved. Is this what you do? Do you consult God? Do you seek his guidance when you have important decisions to make? Do you pray? You say, Lord, should I take this job? Show me. And are you willing to wait and seek his guidance? Or should I marry this person? Show me, Lord. Speak. Make it clear. Or do you just take matters into your own hands and rush on? Do what you want to do. That's not walking by faith. That's walking by sight. That's doing what David did when he saw Bathsheba and he thought, wow, she's beautiful. And he said, I want this woman. He didn't pray. He didn't seek God. But here he did. This, this man who was very imperfect at this juncture, talking about being stoned, says, Lord, show me. 
And the answer was very clear. Pursue them, the Lord answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Now, Romans 14.23 warns us, everything that does not come from faith is sin. It is sin if you don't act in faith. If you just do something because you think it's the right thing to do, but you haven't sought God and you're not acting in faith on it, it's a sinful thing. Whatever is not from faith is sin. So if we take matters into our own hands and marry the wrong person, not consulting God, it's sin. Whenever we don't seek God's guidance and we just charge off and do our own thing, we take matters in our own hands and be guided by our own thoughts, God sometimes leaves us to stew in our own juice. But he is merciful, very merciful. David sought the God's guidance. Now think about what happens next. Think about the timing of it. They head off. He acts in obedience with what God has told him to do. He deals with his discouragement and temptation by seeking to God and seeking God, and then he chooses to trust in the Lord and rest in His faithfulness. He can't see how he's going to get his wife and children back, but he rests in the faithfulness of the God who has promised, and he goes. And they meet an Egyptian, a sick Egyptian on the side of the road, left three days before. Now, we're told at the beginning of this chapter, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. So the very day he's back and Aphak tells him he's going to have to head back, you've got to, you, you've got to go back, for, Ashash tells him to leave the city of Aphak and go back to Ziklag. It's a three-day journey. When he gets back, that very time that that was happening to him, this Egyptian was falling sick. God was organising it so that he would be there and they would find him and they would give him some raisin cakes to eat and revive him, treat him kindly and say, did you see this raiding band of Amalekites? He said, yes, I was among them. I was a slave of one of the Amalekites. But I fell sick and they left me here on the side of the road. And God organises to use this man after he's revived to show them where to go. Now look at, the, look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, David inquired, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them. Now look at verse 18. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back, just like the Lord had said. God's way is the best way. If we consult him, if we let him instruct us and teach us in the way we should go, he will lead us in paths of righteousness. We're told that. We see that here. Now, that, this was all 1,000 BC, so it's 3,000 years ago. What about us today? How, how does this really come home to us? 
Well, we know much more than what David did. We have the Lord Jesus Christ who was sent into the world, who lived and died and who was raised from the dead, who ascended to heaven, who was seated at the right hand of God. We know the gospel. We know all the fullness of that picture of the gospel that David only saw through a dark glass. We have a completed Bible, a whole New Testament, full of stories and examples and showing us things that David did not have available to him. We have available to us much more than what David had available. Think of Hebrews 12 verse 3. Consider him, that's Christ, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. We've got the example of Jesus' disciples. When their attackers, their accusers, saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note these men had been with Jesus. When people are with Jesus, Jesus rubs off on them. There's something different about them. His spirit comes into them. When people trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he lived, he died and he rose again and they're born again, God will not leave us nor forsake us. We've got prayers like Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's not just for pastors or missionaries. It's for all God's children. It's for you and for me. We have so much more available to us than what David had. We have the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But do we believe it? Do we really trust the Lord? I'll just ask you a simple question. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? gospel is that God raised his crucified son from the grave to, to cleanse us from our sin. He exalted him to the father's right hand. He, he brought him up so that he would be our intercessor, the one who would, would pray for us and be our mediator and strengthen us. And he's promised he's preparing a place for us and he'll come back for us. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Do you believe in this exalted Son of God? Do you have faith in his perfect obedience, in his glorious righteousness on your behalf? David made mistakes. I've made some terrible mistakes. We all make mistakes. God doesn't receive us on the basis of our performance. He receives us on the basis of Christ's performance for us. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you believe this? Have you entrusted your life to Christ? You might have made some horrible, horrible mistakes, bad decisions, stuffed up big time. But God in his mercy says, look to my son. Trust in him. With him there is forgiveness. With him there is plentiful redemption. Full of mercy. Come to me, all you that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what David knew. That's what David did. He leaned on the Lord. He looked to the Lord. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. So I just close by encouraging you. Never, you never know where you might end up in life. So know how to be strengthened in the Lord. And rest in the faithfulness of God. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that we have these accounts, these stories, these narratives in the scriptures so that we through by patience and encouragement of the scriptures might have hope and be encouraged to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you please do that for us today? Lead us back to you, Lord. There's anyone here who has made horrendous mistakes, terrible mistakes. I pray that they would not despair, that they would not get so disillusioned or discouraged, but that they would turn to you and rest their hope in you, that they would come in their weariness, they would come in their discouragement, they would come in their disillusionment, and say, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We thank you that you are a gracious and compassionate God. You receive all who turn to you in faith. You will not leave them nor forsake them. Hear us, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen.